live from the basement that we record from. It is Double Turn Radio. My name is Xavier Heat, wrestling's favorite hothead, and next to me is my beautiful and lovely co-host as always. The man with no gimmick, the James Conti, Mr. No Gimmicks Needed. Ladies and gentlemen, this is pay-per-review for Revolution, AEW Revolution 2023. Absolutely. This is our first AEW review in uh, since our re-inception into the podcast world. And we are absolutely excited for the card that came before us. And uh, before we get all t- into the action, let's go ahead and promote the social media. Where are we at, bud? We are all over the place, predominantly on our Instagram, where you can find us, Instagram.com. We are at double underscore turn underscore radio. You can also find us on Twitter. We'll be live tweeting every major wrestling event at double turn radio. If you take the O at the end of that radio and that name, change that to a zero, double turn radio zero. That's where you will find us on Twitter. Facebook and YouTube are the same. We are just double turn radio and then Spottle, Spottle, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts, we are Double Turn Radio. You will find us, and you look like you're about to say something very important. No, no. I was just (laughs) going to say, let's go ahead and shout out Joey Flats as well for the beginning intro song to every podcast and the outro song to every podcast. You can find him on Spotify and Apple Music and anywhere you find your music. Ladies and gentlemen, we are your number one wrestling audio encyclopedia. Whether you're on the road as a worker or at home as a fan or on your way to work as a normal everyday person just want to hear about some wrestling, we are your number one source for anything pro wrestling related. Absolutely. And while we do not cover much modern wrestling on a week-to-week basis you can bet your sweet bippy that we are going to get you every pay-per-view that is just coming out uh we've got wrestlemania in the works very soon backlash just right after that just got announced it's in puerto rico so uh i'm very happy about that i'm definitely going to try and go and if i do (laughs) everybody will uh see my obnoxiousness in in its full glory but nonetheless, this is AEW. This is Revolution 2023. What'd you think, Jamesy Boy? Oh, I wish I had a more versed opinion on this. Unfortunately, I didn't get around to seeing the show, and every stream that I tried to find after that uh, was flagged because of copyright. So I was watching very choppy, very low-quality okay. recaps of all the matches. So I'm going to do my best here, but I do have an opinion on the main event, which I did see in full. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, hey, listen, I'll give my opinion. You can bounce off the ideas. We'll, yeah, that sounds it's good. It's a light <laughs> shift today, ladies and gentlemen. It's all right. We're, we're, we're getting there. Uh, but nonetheless, so AEW Revolution 2023, this year it was from San Francisco, California in the Chase Center. Uh, the card was a pretty stacked one. I'll go from the main event and work our way up. So the main event was MJF. Uh, and Brian Danielson in a 60-minute Ironman match for the AEW World Championship. That has not been done in quite some time. I don't think ever for AEW in quite some time in general in wrestling, a 60-minute Ironman match. You also had uh, the Guns, who defended their AEW World Tag Team Championships against the Acclaimed, uh, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, and Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen, Best Friends. 
And then elsewhere in the card, you had Wardlow and Samoa Joe for the TNT Championship. You had Hangman, Adam Page, and John Moxley in a Texas death match. You had Jamie Hayter facing Soraya and Ruby Soho for the AEW Women's World Championship. And then you had the House of Black face the Elite for the AEW World's Trio Championship. Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, and Christian Cage in a final burial match. And you had Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho in just a plain all-singles match. The only stipulation to that was that the Jericho Appreciation Society was banned from ringside. And we also had a pretty good pre-show match as well. Uh, that's where we're going to start between Mark Briscoe and the Lucha Brothers and Ari Davari and the Varsity Athletes, that being Josh Woods and Tony Nese, managed by Mark Sterling. So the Lucha Bros and Mark Briscoe, uh, they took the W at, on this match. Uh, I know, James, you didn't see this, but really it was your, I would say it's your standard trios match. If you are familiar with the Lucha uh, Bros, you know that they bring a high-flying and Lucha offense, hence the name. And Mark Briscoe, one half of the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions with his late brother, Jay Briscoe. Rest in peace. Uh, but, you know, it, it was good to see the... I don't know. It was, it was, it was a good start to uh, the event, having the crowd kind of just walking in still while this is going on. Uh, there was a lot of action between the ropes definitely some interferences i believe uh mark sterling caught a uh destroyer or uh, no it wasn't a destroyer it was a, a pile driver and now he's threatening to uh sue the lucha bros he has a brace on his neck because this man i've never seen this man on AEW without extra equipment on <laughs> he has a neck brace he's got a sling this guy's getting beat up left and right thankfully he could take a hit or two but this guy he needs a lawyer for himself because he's getting hurt all the time. Fantastic. <laughs> what a hell of a way to start it sounds like. Sounds like I missed a pretty good one there. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm very familiar with uh, yeah, familiar with the Lucha Brothers. And uh, Mark Briscoe was always a solid tag team wrestler uh, since I've been watching him in Ring of Honor back in the day. So I, I will say this. In regards to the varsity athletes, Josh Woods and Tony Nese. Tony Nese, we've seen live. Tony Nese, we know, has that acumen that, you know, is under his belt so we know what he brings to the table josh woods he's not somebody that i've seen often i've tried to catch as much ring of honor as i possibly could from back in the day when he was on it uh pure champion and, and uh matches of that nature he's a very hard-hitting athlete a very mat based wrestler a combat based wrestler i would say strikes and kicks and, and things of that nature i would like to see him i guess fall into his own groove a little more i feel like he still has like a combat mindset and it looks kind of clunky when he's in the ring i feel like that might have been the only downside and i'm not disrespecting josh woods in any way shape or form he's a hell of an athlete i just out of him he's got a look he's got a good look i just want him to just be rounded out more i guess wrestling wise uh but yeah so uh like i said mark briscoe mark briscoe and the lucha brothers took the w on that uh, and that is what the pre-show or zero hour was made up of, along with hype for the rest of the card. And we get our opening contest, official opening contest, and that is Ricky Starks versus Chris Jericho with the Jericho Appreciation Society barred from ringside. But who the hell matters because they don't care. The rules don't apply to them. Um, 
Yeah, so the backstory to this real quick, uh, I know James hasn't caught much of AEW lately, and if you're relatively new to AEW as a fan and just happen to stumble upon this, we appreciate it. But uh, if you want just a little bit of backstory, so, and this is kind of where I kind of get upset with AEW booking and where their storylines lie. It's kind of just what you see from Jericho lately where the young guy wants to make it big and fight for the world championship and Chris Jericho is kind of the gatekeeper and you 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 know like Ricky Starks is like ah oh, I'm really good everybody should like me and Chris Jericho is like oh well you're not as good as me so we should fight and uh, here's all my buddies they're going to beat you up for a couple weeks and then we'll get to the pay-per-view and you'll beat me you know typical it's it's very like you it's how I it's usually kind of watch cutter. right exactly it's it's basically, you know, you take your general wrestling booking and be and drop it and be like, yeah, well, this works, so let's just do it again. I feel like I've seen it a thousand times, but we, you and I were talking back and forth. Ricky Starks is up and coming and he, without a doubt has the makings of a heavyweight champion. A thousand percent. So the lead up to this match, you've seen a lot of trials and tribulations from Chris Jericho to Ricky Starks, making him face a bunch of people. Uh, in the Jericho Appreciation Society, that being Jake Hager, that being Daniel Garcia, that being Sammy Guevara. The war of the words, though, I would say, handedly goes to Ricky Starks because he definitely proved that on the mic he can hold his own against some of the best and even outshine some of the best because there was a promo a few weeks prior to this pay-per-view on Dynamite where he absolutely eviscerated Chris Jericho and I was shocked and I remember texting you saying that Ricky Starks has it he's he probably has been had it I've seen him in NWA and I've liked his stuff in NWA and then when he was brought over to AEW I thought it was a great pickup this promo and the feud leading up to it shows why Ricky now is in that position where you can give him the company you could put a, a, a you know a ball and chain on his back and he's going to carry it where he needs to carry it you know uh, the other inner workings of the storyline Action Andretti who was an independent wrestler high flying independent wrestler he got signed to a contract by AEW uh, he was somebody who beat Chris Jericho and I guess another underlying story behind all of this is you had Chris Jericho losing the Ring of Honor World Championship in December at um, uh, Ring of Honor uh, against Claudio Castagnoli then you had his next match was against action and dread or against ricky starks he lost that and then after that he lost to action and dready you know after after ricky starks so that's three losses in a row and that apparently they mentioned make a mention of it on commentary that hasn't happened in six years i'm assuming from when he was in uh the wwe um so that was an interesting note to to uh to pay attention to because you kind of didn't really know where the booking was going to go for this match you didn't know whether they were going to give it to Ricky and and catapult him to where he needed to be or if this was going to be similar to Chris Jericho's previous feuds where this thing gets dragged out for months and months and months and months and months and while we haven't seen the the fallout episode of this pay-per-view just yet that very well may still be the case this match was won by Ricky Starks pretty handedly a couple of highlights they started off pretty heavy uh Jericho honestly looked half a step behind this whole match Really? His age is, in my opinion, it's starting to show, especially against guys who are super, super polished now, as opposed to before. Somebody like Starks, uh, who can who can really go, 
Um, Jericho looked a little uh, behind on this. You had heavy Y2J and Ricky Chance. It was completely down the middle, so that was cool to see that the fans are still, no matter what, they're still behind Jericho. They He can jawjack the fans and call him anything he wants. They're still going to chant his name. Uh, Jericho dropped Ricky, and this is also what I'm getting to in terms of his health and his age. Jericho dropped Ricky on the back of his neck with a backbreaker. It was the backbreaker, and then I guess the he, he kind of threw his body off of him after the backbreaker was done, and it was very much on the back of his neck. I'm not sure if Ricky's okay. I haven't heard any reports about that. That was definitely uh, nasty to see. Uh, Sammy Guevara comes out, mind you, through all my blab blabbing that I've just done. You probably forgot the JAS is not supposed to be at ringside. But once again, the rules don't apply to them. They don't care. So Sammy goes and runs to the ring, but Action Andretti immediately intercepts, and that's the last you see of the both of them. Um, Jericho's shoulder drilled into Ricky Starks, trying to do a Death Valley driver. You see Ricky kind of holding his nose, making sure that it wasn't broken because it was uh, a pretty nasty shot from that too. Uh, Jericho, so the ending sequence was Ricky Starks applying a single leg Boston Crab onto Jericho in the corner by where his bat was. Aubrey, was, you know, after Sammy and Action and Dreddy were doing their little tiff, Aubrey's paying attention to them. He, he's got Jericho in the corner. Jericho's trying to get his bat. And the, that little sequence, I guess, was going a little too long. And he couldn't get Ricky's attention. So he goes and he tries to tell Aubrey, like, keep yelling at Sammy so he can get Ricky's attention to turn so he can hit him with the bat. He hits him with the bat. Uh, Jericho, you know, uh, Ricky Stark sells. Jericho then goes for the Judas effect. The crowd immediately, it sucked the air out of the room because they knew what they were, at least they felt they knew what they were about to get. Ricky reversed it, and then the crowd popped hard. He goes and hits Rochambeau, and that's the end of the match. It was pretty good. I For an opening contest, I was not mad at it. I was glad that Ricky won. I hope that they don't extend the feud. Did I think it was the best match in the world? No, I thought it was a bit of a slow start for something like this kind of pay-per-view, but it wasn't a bad match in the slightest. I, I was thoroughly entertained throughout, right? wrestling-wise. Yeah. yeah, it's very unheard of that Jericho has a match where we can say, oh, that was absolute dog shit. I don't think I've ever actually seen one, at least in the recent memory. I'm sure there, I'm sure there has been. Him and Colt but- Cabana. Uh, well, him right. versus Colt Cabana, and it'll change your mind. <laughs> and it, I don't, it, I don't think it's his fault, but that's besides the point. Yeah, but you know, back uh, going back to what I was saying, you know, with Jericho, it, Jericho's been one of those guys who can get the best out of some of the worst wrestlers. Uh, and like you were saying, it's usually not his fault. He can usually keep up. But again, I've also said it just in terms of how he's looking these days, his age it is probably going to get up there at some point. And, you know, we're going to start to see it. Hopefully, Jericho will know when it's time to, you know, yeah. hang it up. He could still do a line salt. And I'm sure we're probably going to discuss at some point who we think will take the legacy from Jericho. If there's anybody that's going to take the legacy from Jericho. But who we... Because th- he's a dramatic person. And, he, you know, he... I think he's going to want to pass the torch to somebody. Right. So, we'll... I, I mean, I would like to see. And I'm sure we're going to discuss. But... Yeah. Ricky Starks... Got the W after the Rochambeau. 
Up next, we got Jungle Boy versus Christian Cage in a final burial match. And if you don't know what a final burial match is, ladies and gentlemen, it is pretty much a casket match, except the casket is on the stage. Sometimes the casket is by the ring, and it's kind of like a casket slash buried alive match. You got dirt, yeah, a little similar. Semi-similar. It's not, From what I saw from this, I, I saw like the finish, and I saw a couple of uh, different clips from it, but it looked pretty much standard yeah for, I, for what it what they were trying to present honestly i think that this should have gotten a little bit more time am i glad that it got the time that it did yes because i feel like there wasn't much more that they could do with what they had in front of them but in terms of the action i would have it, it kind of seemed rushed especially towards the end so just a couple of highlights of the match the rules are the same as a buried alive match and that is that you have to put the person in the casket and essentially throw the dirt on them. Does that happen in this one? Only half of that happens, minus the dirt, plus the casket. Uh, Jungle Boy is still the fan favorite. Christian is getting booed damn near out of the arena. He's doing some of the work of his career. Oh, Christian? Christian. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. A thousand percent. Putting over, putting over the young guy, doing exactly what he needs to do, and making sure that... Jungle Boy looks good in the process, which he absolutely did. They go outside early. Jungle Boy grabs a beer from the fan, and he throws it in the face of Christian. So that was something that happened pretty early. Uh, they battled in the ring very briefly, and Jungle Boy's mom and sis were uh, seen at ringside. There was a cool spot in the ring where Jungle Boy was laying on his stomach. Christian grabbed his arms and was stepping on Jungle Boy's hair and pulling his arms. So kind of just... You know, reversing gravity and, and, you know, the way his body's supposed to move, trying to uh, rip the arms out of the socket. So that was a cool spot. There were some fuck you Christian chants, so that was great. Love to see the San Francisco crowd get raucous. Uh, and then after they battled in the ring for a little bit, it worked up the ramp near the casket. And this is where everything started to pick up. Uh, they both started to tease each other going in the casket. No one really got it. And there was another cool spot where Christian goes for a kill switch on the chair. But uh, Jungle Boy throws him off the stage, and then he does a flying senton on the Christian. And if you've ever seen the video, the viral video that's been going around where Kurt Angle hurls himself at Abyss in TNA. That was probably the most perfect senton you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> yes, and while Jungle Boy's senton wasn't as beautiful looking, this was definitely something that I was like, oh, I, I, I popped for it. That, absolutely, I popped for that. Uh, that was definitely cool to see. I uh, like to see Jungle Boy take you know some risk on his own. This was really showing that Jungle Boy can be Jungle Man, I guess. He can hold his own. He can fight. Christian wanted to take him into a very dark place, which in a couple of seconds you're going to see that he does. Where Luchasaurus gets thrown in the mix, I don't know. I heard that there's an issue with the mask. I don't know if he's going to come back the same. But nonetheless, uh, after that flying senton, uh, you know, they start working a little bit more on the ramp and on the stage. Christian goes for a concerto on Jungle Boy, and a Jungle Boy escaped, and he uses a shovel, shovel to try and uh, combat Christian Cage's chair. Jungle Boy hits the snare trap on Christian with the shovel in his mouth and then hits a concerto. Kind of looked like he potated him in the back of the head. Not sure if that was the case, but it looked good to me. Uh, Jungle Boy then looked shocked after he did it. So you're seeing the 
character progression. You're seeing Jungle Boy kind of change and be put in a position that he's never really been in before. Yes, he's bled before. Yes, he's been in violent-esque matches, but that was not as personal as this. And it's been very personal considering the history that Christian Cage has turning Luchasaurus on Jungle Boy, disrespecting his family, disrespecting Jack Perry's dead father, uh, Luke Perry. Um, yeah, so after that, uh, after hitting the snare trap on Christian Cage, Jungle Boy puts Christian in the casket, kisses his forehead, and then closes the lid of the casket to end the match. And the casket immediately dropped down very fast. <laughs> and then there was a cloud of dust that happened after that. I was about fact. to say, I that saw that on comical. Twitter. I saw that on Twitter. I thought it was a botch. I was like, man, I don't know if that was supposed to happen. or. But no, it looked like that That was how it was set up. But it, I didn't expect it to just go. Yeah, it and it was, it was, I, I liked it though. No, it was cool. You kind of just you you see the lowering of the casket real slow in in older uh, you know similar matches like the buried alive match and the casket match when you know the stages recessed and stuff like that. So it was I thought this was unique where it was like okay, casket's closed, kadoom, it's over, yeah. match is over. <laughs> like we're we're good. He's gone. He's he's really dead. Yeah, it's interesting because we've all seen Jungle Boy be. The, I don't want to say innocent because you like you said he's been involved in it, but he's got you know, he's he is the baby face that a lot of people would normally go for. So to see him kind of go to that dark side, which is kind of where we're up to in the Monday Night Wars, where we're starting to see people go to their dark side. Which if you haven't checked Very out apropos. already, yeah. please go ahead and check that out. But nonetheless, you know we're starting to see more character development as far as we're getting hints of that dark side. So who knows where this goes after this? Yeah. And I like that it's being done with uh, Jack Perry too, because when, you know, AEW at one point talked about the pillars of AEW and talked about, you know, the foundation. And if you're, you know, going off of that idea, you know, you've got MJF in this position now where he's the world champion. You've got Ricky Starks where he just beat Chris Jericho, who is one of the goats. Uh, and then now you've got, Jack Perry solidifying himself as a contender where he just beat, you know, in contentiously an all-time great, contentiously, I say, because his career has been marred with controversy, but in Christian. Um, so, and we're going to get up to it in a, in a couple of minutes as well, where you see more up-and-comers, more foundations of AEW. So this was another reason why I liked the pay-per-view was because they really solidified this is the new wave of wrestlers I I felt like they took their time to show this was how it's going to be. Okay, so, yeah, Ricky Starks beat Chris Jericho. That was in 13 minutes and 35 seconds. Jungle Boy Jack Perry beat Christian Cage in 14 minutes, 50 seconds. And now we've got our technically third official match of the evening, and that's the House of Black versus the Elite. The House of Black go over in 18 minutes. This match was crazy. It usually is. I expect that from 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 those two teams. Now, I'm not a, I, I won't say I'm not a fan of trios wrestling. I'm not a huge proponent of trios wrestling. I think that there's always a lot going on, and there's never enough uh, spotlight on the some guys or not no, enough people not get their shine. Necessarily, I'm trying to. It's because hard to find I, I the words. I guess I would articulate it too because I'm also not a fan of trios wrestling, uh, mainly for this reason, and I and I equate it to the same reason I don't like fatal four way matches. Mm -hmm. 
And I put it this way because for some reason, if you look at the history of professional wrestling, there's not a whole lot of great fatal four-way matches. There's not. But there are an abundance of triple threat matches that blow the roof off the house. Mm -hmm. So I think that by adding in a singles match case, by adding one more person to a triple threat match, now you've almost convoluted it to the point where there's too much going on that it almost overshadows what you just saw. Whereas in triple threat matches, it's kind of everything molds together at the end because there's always somebody involved in something else. I think with trios wrestling, it's the same kind of way where one, two people will do one really big spot. The next two people do one really big spot. And then the next two people do one really big spot. So there's almost too much to concentrate on. And if that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. And I share some sentiments of that. Definitely. I think that they're a little bit too cookie cutter in terms of structure. Whereas there's a lot of pandemonium in spots where you would think there's a lot of pandemonium. And I don't think that the proper spotlight gets put on the strategy of trios wrestling and having six men in the ring and being able to, uh, you know, combat that style. And that's why I liked this match so much because where... And I'm, I, and I, you fans have heard it before. If you've been listening to the show, if you know me personally, if you know me through through wrestling, I'm not a huge fan of the elite at all. I don't like the way they wrestle. I don't like the, I, I would say, corniness of it all. It kind of seems a little too hokey to me. Not saying that I don't like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega individually, because I think the Young Bucks are good as a tag team individually. And I think Kenny Omega is good as a singles wrestler as well. I think the three of them together, I think the idea of the elite is something that has been so watered down. So like, I guess, uh, used and abused. They're kind of, it's just like, they've been the hot thing for so long. It's just like, it's old news by now. And I echo those sentiments in that way too, because I've also kind of, there's no mystique to them anymore. No. That's the thing is there's I use so I went to Ring of Honor very late. I got to a Ring of Honor show when I was probably at the end of college, so about 2017, 2018. I didn't see Ring of Honor in its heyday, and I didn't see the dawn of the Young Bucks or anything like that. Or if you really want to go back, Generation Me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. Or there's is, stuff in New Japan. Right. Like, I've seen their stuff in New Japan. Oh, of course. I'm Listen, I'm not to that. I don't knock any of their accomplishments or anything like that. It's just I've and I've used to defend the Young Bucks. I used to say, you know, all their matches are great. The thing is now, I feel like I'm getting to the point where you've seen one Young Bucks match. Yeah. You've seen them all. Exactly. Kenny Omega's single solo, I think, has pulled off masterpieces in his own right. And now I think that we're just starting to see the elite. Now you've seen one elite match. You've seen them all. And I think they booked the elite to hell with that seven series stretch that they had. Where you knew it was going to go to seven matches from the beginning. Right. And they didn't have any, like you said, mystique. They didn't have any like, oh, could they lose? Like there was no like real believable stakes, I guess I would say. I mean, obviously the championships are the stakes, but there's no like consequence to the losses or to the deficiencies of the elite. It's kind of just like, oh, they're the elite. They're going to be the elite no matter what. This changed it, and it took the House of Black to do it, 
And I like this. See, there's things about AEW wrestling that I don't like booking-wise, and there are things about AEW wrestling that I like. And they've stayed true to the fact that any group, any person that the House of Black or Aleister Black touches, they change in some way, shape, or form. And that is still the case here. Yes, they won the titles. We're going to get through that in just a second. The House of Black had a phenomenal entrance. They are doing what Bray Wyatt should have done for the past five to seven years, in my opinion. But that's another story for another day. You have the Elite getting a rather mild reaction, in my opinion. They didn't get really the pop that I thought they were going to get for it being a kind of hometown uh, uh, welcome for them. In the sense that right. they're in California, they're in Northern California, kind of near Rancho Cucamonga, things of that nature. Anyway, Buddy uh, Murphy and uh, Kenny Omega start commentary, compare them to one another heavily in terms of style, in terms of physique. Uh, you can definitely see that in terms of the physique. Style is a little different. I think Murphy hits a little bit harder, but, you know, that's just my opinion. I agree. I actually was going to say the same thing. I, was, I Murphy think just Murphy just hits a little bit harder. Yep, I agree. Puts the mustard on it just a little bit more. Anyway... Malachi, this was something to think about, too, for possibly the future. You can sense that, uh, obviously, Malachi is the leader of the House of Black. But while Buddy Murphy and Kenny are in, in this kind of stalemate, this grappling stalemate, they go to their respective corners, and Malachi tagged himself in, in just a mere matter of minutes into this match. So you don't know if they're going to kind of have dissension amongst another between, you know, Buddy and Alistair. I would say that's probably something that'll be looked at down the line. But right now, if it is a seed that's planted, good on them because I definitely took note of that. Um, and then, so where, in my opinion, where Kenny Omega and Buddy Murphy had good chemistry, Malachi Black and him did not. I felt like it was kind of clunky. They didn't really know what they were going to do. There was a good spot that Kenny Omega dodged a blackout kick uh, pretty well. Uh, made it look really good. Uh, Matt Jackson got tagged in and he called out Brody King. And that is... That right there, ladies and gentlemen, that's the turning point of this match. We're only about six or seven minutes maybe into this match when uh, Matt Jackson calls out Brody King, but that's it. That's the turn of the match because now Brody King is in, that big motherfucker's in there, and they have no fucking clue what to do with this guy. And Brody King, I've not watched a lot of his material before. I need to now. That man can go. That man could go. That man looks good. He has a good wrestling style for how big his size is. He has great agility. The entirety of the match after this was them trying to figure out how they're going to fuck Brody King up enough to retain their championship because he was definitely going to be the X Factor. A little later on in the match, we get a standoff between all six people. Rick Fox got in the middle. They pulled him away, and they brawled. He kind of fell towards the outside. Um, the fight goes outside. Brody King hits a crossbody on Kenny, who was sitting on a chair near the barrier and completely bended the barrier through. Now, if you haven't seen AEW's barriers late recently, it's not a guardrail anymore. It is an actual metal uh, kind of, uh, uh, I would say, like a thin metal and plastic barrier. But somebody like Brody King falling into it, that is going to bend, and it certainly did. Uh, Kenny Omega... Attempts later on in the match a one-winged angel and a dragon suplex on, uh, on Brody King. He doesn't get either one, and he hits a he eats a, a heavy clothesline for his troubles. 
Mac Jackson hits a sliced bread number two on Murphy, and he bounced off of Malachi Black. So that was cool. It wasn't like your usual in the corner, bouncing off the post. Julia Hart gets involved towards uh, the end of the match. After a sequence of events, she gets hit with a V-trigger by Kenny Omega off the apron onto the floor. Uh, and then the ending sequences of the match, the Elite go for the Meltzer driver. Buddy Murphy knees Nick Jackson on the slingshot entry. Then you get a blackout uh, kick from Malachi and Dante's Inferno uh, from Brody King. And that was the end of the match. Handedly, they won. I don't think there was any point where I didn't think the House of Black wasn't going to win, even before the match. My prediction was that the House of Black was going to win because of my opinions on the Elite. They've gotten real stale real fast. Don't need the belts on them. They're not hot anymore. Give it to the House of Black. They definitely need it more than the Elite needs it kind of thing. Uh, After the match, the lights blacked out. I thought this was funny. The House of Black and the Elite did not leave in time. You could see them like scurrying out of the ring (laughs) when the lights got... Uh, uh, when the lights cut back on. Um, and then they made a point to show this at the end where Kenny Omega was very, very, very upset. He was getting help to the back, but you can tell that he was half crying, half angry. So I don't know where they're going to turn with this. I don't know if he's going to turn. He may go back to the cleaner gimmick if the, if a singles career is in his future. Don Callis, who was on commentary, was uh, concerned about the whole thing, especially after the loss. So it's interesting. I was about to say, I feel uh, if they're going to do a turn, I think it should be the Bucks because I think that people will react to a Bucks match the exact same. And I think that people like Kenny Omega in general. And it's like he can be a heel and people are still going to be like, yeah. So that's the problem with AEW is these heel and face turns almost don't feel genuine genuine they matter right because here's the thing is like i hate to compare it to wwe because we're talking about AEW, but let's make the comparison is like roman reigns is without a doubt a heel and people love him the thing is on tv they've booked him so perfectly as a heel that like we have no choice but to hate him i mean you know yeah i mean you still get chance of course you still like get the fans that cheer for him but for the most part he's getting the reaction that they want out of right so it's tough it's like you know it's very uh, that's with AEW it's like the very it's still very indie you know where mm-hmm. people obviously I think AEW is for fans that value the in-ring action over storylines any day but the you know so the story behind it and it's also very hard to keep keep together when I'm watching AEW which is I guess why I'm more of a mark for WWE than I am for AEW it's you know I I appreciate the in reaction of AEW. It's just I wish their storylines and like you were saying the the booking decisions are sometimes so yeah. weird and and convoluted or quirky that it's like I get it. You want to put together two guys that are going to have an absolutely phenomenal match. It's just you could you know how much you can add to it by adding a really good story to it. Mm-hmm. I am so. going to talk about where I think Kenny's going to go at uh, toward at the end of the show. Okay, maybe a spoiler, maybe not. Um, <clears throat> nonetheless. So, yeah, uh, House of Black wins in 18 minutes flat. After this, we get a relatively quick match, only 10 minutes, between Jamie Hayter, Soraya, and Ruby Soho. This was... So, you've got... All right, so we just had Starks Jericho, which an opening match. The fans are excited. The fans are both invested in, in both of these wrestlers, so they're hot. They're going into it really energetically. And then after that, you get a final burial match. They just worked into the crowd. You got a gimmick. Everything's going good. And then after this, you have House of Black, and you have the Elite. That's another wildly, you know, 
a chaotic match where you've got a bunch of things going on in a bunch of different places and you know the fans need to keep up and keep that energy going and then you've got Hater versus Soraya versus Soho God bless these women because they did a great job to try and keep the fans invested because I think in any other wrestling show in any other city the fans would have been burnt out just on those first three matches alone. You've already been going between the first three matches. You've already technically been going 45 minutes of just straight go, 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 go. And now you've got these three women who are just doing their best to make sure that they're telling the story the right way. And damn it, they did. You've got Hater, who is the unsuspectingly the, the women's champion throughout all of this to, uh, if you look at the uh, story of her career she wasn't really a well known wrestler I would say in terms of notoriety on TV the fans pulled for her when she was a partner of Britt Baker and they had such a visceral reaction to her in such a positive way that they had no choice but to turn Britt Baker, who was formerly a, a heel. They had to turn her face. They had to turn Jamie Hayter face. Now you need a, a, a great villain to go after that. Who better than somebody like Soraya, who the fans were so excited to see get in the ring after so long, the former page of WWE. And then she turns on the fans, so she's obviously going to get that great negative reaction. And then you've got Ruby Soho, who's somebody right in the middle of the two. She's friends with Britt Baker and, and Jamie Hayter because they welcomed her when she first got into the company as a babyface. Uh, but she's also been in the same company as both Tony Storm and Soraya in, in some capacity in WWE. So there is that personal history there as well. And that's what gets told throughout. Uh, before the bell, Soraya, I, I mean, I noticed this before the bell, uh, Soraya told Ruby to switch positions, with, uh, which then set up the early sequence of uh, multiple strikes. And then Ruby eventually getting sent outside. Um, they're getting sent outside via a drop kick because she drop kicked the hell out of um, Soraya from the apron no i'm sorry not even from the apron she she did a drop kick from the ring to from inside the ring to the outside which i thought oh, was pretty sick. cool i uh, hit soraya pretty hard um they went outside soraya and hater at this point they were fighting in the crowd after uh, soraya and hater get sent into the crowd then ruby soho braces she doesn't brace she bases her cross body because she, she kind of holds the hand of the security guard who is the resident AEW security guard? I've noticed it's the same guy every time. Um, holds his hand and just kind of bases off the same guardrail that Brody King bent to, to deliver a crossbody. Um, after that, there was a lot of action in the ring. There was a, a, a lot of action in the ring that eventually culminated into uh, Jamie Hayter winning the, uh, retaining the championship and. Another thing I wanted to note, uh, make a note of was the cool camera that they got. All the entrances were done with this uh, camera. Uh, it's kind of like a gimbal, I would say, in a sense. It's pretty cool. It shows the action in a uh, new and unique way. Um, but yeah, so 
Hater wins. You've got Soho kind of selling the loss. You've got Soraya attacking Hater at the end. And then you get what everybody was not hoping for, but it came anyway. And that's the turn of Ruby Soho. She goes and she attacks uh, Jamie Hader after she was raising Jamie Hader's arm. Uh, so she hits her uh, with that. Um, what's that? I don't know what they call that finishing move, but it's the uh, it's the, the foot to the face. It's uh, like the Pele kick in a yeah. sense. Um, so yeah, that, that was all right. Uh, yeah, so she turns on them and then goes with Soraya. And Tony Storm puts the green spray paint on both Britt Baker and uh, Jamie Hader, who were laying in the middle of the ring. So... You've got a faction now. You've got a women's faction. You got, I don't know if they're calling them the Outsiders 2.0. I don't know if they're calling them uh, the Sports Entertainers. I don't know what the hell they're calling Controlled them. Controlled damage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so that that was, uh, that, I don't know, that was pretty cool. I, it, was, it, was the lo- it was one of the lower points of the pay-per-view. I like the turn in, in the story because now... Uh, Jamie Hader's back is against the wall in terms of, you know, she's already got a target on her back, but now she's got these three women who are, you know, uh, uh, vehemently going after her. Right. And they're all tough challenges in and of themselves. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is the right women to do it with, too, if anything, because Tony Storm can work. Soraya can still work, which I was had my concerns about when she came back. And Ruby's got a history of working in a faction. She worked with the Riot Squad when, while she was with the uh, WWE. So I think that it's a, definitely an intriguing storyline. I definitely got to look more into it. But other than that, and I like Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Jamie Hayter's actually, uh, since when we were researching for the, the 10 count, her name came up a lot. Yeah. So uh, She's yeah very, very great wrestler. Uh, and I like that they're using Ruby Soho in a way that's more conducive to her character, more conducive more conducive to her strengths, because in WWE, you didn't really get a sense of that, at least on the main roster. Obviously, in NXT, you, you saw, and it was great, but that didn't translate when she got to main. So the fact that they're utilizing her well, I honestly thought when they were, um, do when, when this storyline was playing out, I thought they were going to go with Athena, because Athena was showing a heel personality at, around this time, and it was just introduced. She got the Ring of Honor's World Championship. I mean, obviously now she's feuding with Willow Nightingale for the Ring of Honor uh, Championship, so it didn't, you know, she wasn't in the place of, of, of uh, Ruby Soho, but I'm glad that Ruby Soho is in this position. She played it well. We'll see what happens. Hater still your champ in 10 minutes. And after this, we have... One of the most violent, one of the most brutal, one of the most bloody match, shoot bloody matches I've seen uh, on a pay-per-view. And I, I feel like they keep just upping themselves. You know, they keep, you know, uh, 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 outdoing themselves every year in terms of violence and in terms of, uh, you know, how far they're going to go to show that violence. Right. And if you didn't think Mox was going to bleed tonight, I don't know if you know what a Texas death match looks like. But if you were tired of Mox bleeding, I have bad news for you. Yeah. Yeah. He gets it and uh, Hangman gets it the hard way. Real, real bad news. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Hangman Adam Page beat John Moxley in 24 minutes and 45 seconds. They had a Texas death match for 25 minutes and all 25 minutes were used 
very, very graciously between these two wrestlers. And when I say very graciously, I mean very, very graciously between these two wrestlers because I don't think I'd be able to survive 25 minutes of this bullshit that they pulled in this, in this fucking match. Uh, nonetheless, so if you're not familiar with the Texas death match, the rules are simple. It is a no-holds-barred last-man-standing match. That's it. You can use whatever weapon you want, however you want. Last person, you know, uh, one man doesn't beat the standing 10 count. That's it. That's the end of the match. Uh, as Moxley was making his, his entrance, he was attacked by Adam Page. He was also busted open pretty early after getting spiked with barbed wire. Adam Page, uh, hangman, pretty much went for the barbed wire right away. Uh, they start fighting for a little bit. Moxley gets the upper hand. Moxley then takes a fork out while Hangman is selling a, a hit from him and then traps Hangman in a triangle and mauls Hangman with a fork. And when I say mauls Hangman with a fork, I mean you can see the blood splattering on the chest of John Moxley as he is stabbing the fork onto Hangman's head. This is not a blood pack. This is not a ketchup packet. This is literally a fork to a man's forehead several times. I'm just saying. Very I, that, violent. See, I got a notification for that um, bef the night of, but I didn't see it until the next day. And brutal. One of the most brutal things I've seen in a very long time, at least in modern wrestling. Yeah, like and Nick Gage doing the pizza cutter to Chris Jericho was was violent but like right. the, it didn't you didn't see Chris Jericho's blood splattering all over the place this guy literally right. had the, as he's stabbing hangman in the chest you see the blood splatter on the chest of Moxley it was it was wild it was crazy um a barbed wire wrapped chair got used after that the fans went crazy they uh wanted to go and uh, they wanted uh tables right away Pretty much, you know, the beginning quarter of the match. A hangman hit a moonsault with barbed wire wrapped around him. I'm just saying the highlights because there was uh, too many. Hangman hit a fallaway slam on Moxley onto a chair with uh, the wire wrapped around it. And he also hit a dead eye on this chair, too. So Moxley's getting hit left and right. Uh, hangman also hit an up and over crossbody to the outside, knocking Moxley into a table <laughs> yeah. with barbed wire. So that was pretty crazy as well um then you had moxley grinding his nails on the back of hangman and vice versa when they were in the corner so they were fighting for control there and then moxley goes and takes barbed wire that they had near the apron and then he grinds the wire on the back of uh you know at hangman adam page you can really really see the wounds um hangman does the same to moxley and then sits him down after this hangman sets himself up for a move, but Moxley gets up and throws Hangman over the top rope where Hangman pretty much lands on his head uh, onto a table that had wire wrapped around it. His hair got caught a little bit too. It was a pretty gnarly spot from them. Little, Just a little bit later on, action back inside the ring, Moxley went and did a curb stop to Hangman onto Bricks, shades of his former tag team partner in the, in the Shield, Seth Rollins, and yep. this was done after reversing a buckshot lariat. And then the hangman, Adam Page, wins after hitting two buckshots, one to send Moxley outside, and then there was a chain that was wrapped around 
uh, the neck of Moxley, and he used that to choke Moxley as he went over the top rope, and Hangman held onto it to get Moxley to tap out. Crazy. So, so like this was like so I didn't see the how the exact finish went down, but so the last man standing he was it just so it was last man standing slash. I guess submission, like, yeah, you, you know, like okay. I guess knockout, submission, that kind of thing. Um, okay, yeah, it, th- I was under the impression that it was just last man standing. So when the tap out happened, I had to go back and kind of okay. look, and it seen. I, I don't know if it was explicitly um, stated, but a knockout and a submission, I'm assuming, were part of the deal when it came to that. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So fr- from what I saw, because this was one of the matches I saw the most highlights from. Uh, with the exception of the finish. For obvious reasons. Uh, uh, incredible uh, from what I saw. I saw the spot where uh, they went up to the outside and Mox fell into the table with the barbed wire on it. Anytime I see barbed wire used, I'm like, man. I was like, there were guys that back in the 90s that were doing this every single fucking night. And yeah. Mox is out here still doing it for fun. He ble- he's bleeding every night. but I mean, think about know. the death match they had with Kenny Omega, and they're falling onto that ba- pretty much a bale of yeah. barbed wire, too. It's so awesome. it's not out of the ordinary for Moxley. Uh, but no, I- a guy that came up in the CZW, who, who, <laughs> why would it be any, any different for him? Exactly. I thought this match was very good for what it was. Hangman wins. He gets that definitive win over Moxley. So we're going to see the evolution of Hangman just a little more. For the people that thought he was getting buried because of uh, the feud that he had with CM Punk and the, and the drama that uh, led with that, that is certainly not the case. We're probably getting Hangman being, you know, facing uh, uh, MJF for the world championship next, if I had to guess. There's one other person who I have the thought of, who I'll explain later yep. why I think so. But uh, nonetheless, Hangman won. In 24 minutes and 45 seconds. And our next match is Wardlow versus Samoa Joe for the TNT Championship. And boy, was it something else. No, I'm lying. It was actually just pretty middle of the road. It wasn't very standard crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the way to catapult Wardlow. That it was definitely the way to catapult Wardlow. This was right opponent to do. This it is what they should have done months ago. Have Wardlow look strong going into feuds. Have it personal because when they feuded the first time it wasn't really that personal and then Samoa Joe cut off Wardlow's hair. If you don't know the significance of Wardlow's hair, go watch AEW. It has to do with his dad. His dad is dead. You can see what I'm putting down here. Uh Yeah, so this match I don't know. The crowd seemed kind of burnt at this point, especially because they just had that hellacious match, the the, the one before. And AEW was just pumping, pumping matches. They were not stopping for any promos. They weren't stopping for any debuts, nothing. This was all action all the time in the show. Uh, and, you know, the crowd definitely felt it uh, come this match. So, yeah, I mean, it was a little slow. Wardlow was super athletic throughout the show, uh, throughout the match. He took control of the first part of the match. Hobbs was watching from the stands. He got big boy moves between the both of them. There were some Uranagis in there. Uh, there was a big swanton bomb from Wardlow. Uh, and then a power bomb. So the ending of the match, I'm just going to cut right to it because the match wasn't that long at all. It actually had 40 more seconds than the women's match, which isn't saying much. Uh, but... Samoa Joe goes for, a po- for the Powerbomb Symphony, which is Wardlow's thing. 
Wardlow reverses it. He gets the sleeper on Samoa Joe and gets the submission win. So he pretty much won the TNT championship from Samoa Joe with Samoa Joe's move. So that's significant in and of itself. We find out that Hobbs, being the face of the revolution from the AEW before, is going to immediately get his championship match technically today while we're recording this, but the Wednesday after this revolution. So no rest for the weary because Wardlow's right back at it. But his feud is, I would say, definitively over with Samoa Joe. We can kind of move away from that. Samoa Joe can now stick to Ring of Honor television, which is not where he should be. I think he should be on AEW. But nonetheless, we can see him put over the next guy in, in Ring of Honor. Fantastic. Yeah, Joe going back to Ring of Honor poetically makes sense. Uh, but I would like to see him in AEW too because he's when was the last time he had a major championship run? Like in it with a like WWE, obviously he didn't get much NXT title mm-hmm. if we count it. But you know, yeah, probably since Impact, he hasn't held a major world championship. It would have been nice to see him as the AEW world champion. I mean, hey, th- honestly, point. this is good enough to be honest with you. He's a dominant TV champion in Ring of Honor. He was pretty dominant when it came to the TNT championship. Obviously, he lost it to um, you know Wardlow. And subsequently, I think I uh, got it back from Darby Allen, lost it off of Darby Allen. Can't remember. Um, so it's been a crazy couple of weeks with with the title switching hands back and forth. But yeah, Samoa Joe was a- absolutely the, the the right person for Wardlow to take it off of. And now we can maybe finally see a true true championship reign from Wardlow, starting with Powerhouse Hobbs, who isn't there just yet but we'll absolutely get there if they book this story right between him and Wardlow, them being the two hungry, big boys trying to get at it. Pause. Uh, all right. So we are on a co... We are on our to our co-main event of the evening, the match before the main event, and that is the Fatal 4-Way for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Uh, that is going to be... The Guns, Austin and Colton Gunn, versus Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett, versus The Acclaimed, versus Best Friends in Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. Uh, the Guns came out first, which was super weird, considering they are the champions. Usually they get the last entrance uh, before the match starts, but they came out first. Orange Cassidy and Danhausen came out to a pretty good reaction as well. That music of Orange Cassidy is a chef's kiss for his persona. The way the lights hit, the my fan of his gimmick, that's neither here nor there, but I think that they do it right, especially with his entrance. The fans really connect to him. He's moving a lot of merch. He is a very, very... Uh, 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 popular. You know, yeah, very, popular. Very, that's the word. Yep, very popular. Selling merch. He's get he's over already. There's no doubt about it. Him and Dan Housen definitely over. I think the fans, re, I think the fans would get behind them in any situation. Truth, truth be told, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. I think as long as they're there, they're gonna get a good reaction. My prediction for this match was that Orange Cassidy and Dan Housen was gonna win. That was my prediction for the match because Orange Cassidy is so popular, and if you depending on where they wanted to go, if they didn't want to, if they wanted to just 
stop this acclaimed versus guns feud or however way. I mean, obviously, it's not the way it played out, which I'm going to get to in a, in a couple uh, minutes. But I thought that Orange Cassidy and Danhausen were going to were going to walk away with it. Um, yeah, the acclaimed came out to a great pop as always. Caster rapped about San Francisco. He rapped about their guns and their cheetah pants because they were wearing cheetah pants. And he said that Jeff Jarrett needs uh, Cialis. And if you don't know what Cialis is, it's the other little blue pill. Uh, and that, But his flow, being a fellow rap enthusiast myself, his flow was way off. <laughs> I just, the most minuscule thing to kind of just knock him for, but his flow on this rap was way off. It was not his strongest rap. Kind of felt like he was just coasting to it. Anyway, someone had a Giants jersey that was scissor-themed. Tony Schiavone made a point made it a point to to uh, uh, make a mention of it. So shout out that guy. Um, so yeah, Orange Cassidy and Jeff Jarrett start the match. Jeff Jarrett, uh, you know, got a quick little advantage real quick on a chaining uh, sequence, and then he uh, does his little strut, uh, and then they get back to it. Cassidy gets the upper hand real quick, and he does Jeff's uh, strut. And then puts his hands in his pocket and all hell breaks loose once he starts putting his hands in his pocket. Backdrop after backdrop after backdrop after backdrop. Uh, Dan Housen gets a huge pop once he enters the match. And the best friends had some entertaining offense between the both of them. It's going to play into the finish, but I knew it from the beginning. Dan Housen was purely there to take the pin, which he did in the end. Uh, Austin Gunn, in my opinion, a fucking comical person, a fucking comical wrestler. I think that if the guns do end up splitting eventually, Austin Gunn is going to get skyrocketed to the fucking moon because that man has all the charisma in the world. His brother, in my opinion, not so much. Good athlete, but his charisma is nowhere near as up there as his brother. His his brother has great... Uh, Austin Gunn has great uh, uh, facial expressions, in my opinion. He reacts the right way he's still greener than baby shit i can't talk because i am as well but seeing a guy in that position doing as the tag team champion they've only been wrestling for two years granted for their legacy but uh it's good to see that at least one of them has has potential and i think austin uh gun definitely has has uh potential uh jeff jarrett and jay lethal in my opinion, we're there for quality control, especially because the other teams were all rather young, still rather kind of new and, and in the spotlight. So they were kind of the quality control. Let's make sure that everything is going the way it's supposed to be. And if you know wrestling, you know that there needs to be at least some one order. veteran. Exactly. Yeah. Some order, a veteran, someone there to... Uh, Pace to, the match properly, make yeah. sure the match kind of moves at a way where it's not getting so overwhelming, but it's not completely boring. Exactly. Either. Exactly. Uh, the guns uh, in the match teamed up with lethal and Jeff Jarrett to put some heat on Anthony Bowens and they all do a four way strut from the corner. So that was cool to see uh, the guns eventually turned on lethal and Jeff Jarrett, which send which sent Satnam Singh into the ring to go and get the guns because he's affiliated uh, along with Sanjay Dutt um, with, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. He then sends the guns outside. Dan Housen comes in and he tries to curse Satnam Singh. Satnam Singh is a shoot seven one seven feet one inches tall, one inch tall. I'm assuming. Uh, 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 yeah, seven feet one inch tall. And Dan Housen, not the biggest guy in the world, trying to curse Satnam Singh. Uh, Sanjay Dutt was in now at this point to get Dan Housen. Kind of told Satnam Singh, "Hey, 
that's light work. Let me handle it. But it doesn't work when he gets hit. They broke his pencil, and the faces, the baby faces started working on uh, on Satnam Singh. They all kind of hit big moves on him. Daddy Ass comes in. He was affiliated with the acclaimed, as, uh, of course. He comes in and he fits his uh, hits his famouser, which he's famous for, and he <laughs> he turned around to go and uh, you know get get a good cheer from the crowd. And his sons came, the guns, Billy Gun, Daddy Ass, his sons, the guns, came back and low blowed him. A lot of gun, a lot of gun, a lot of guns, a lot of heat. Uh, Jeff Jarrett. Uh, later on in the match, goes and hits Caster with, uh, goes to hit Caster with the guitar, but he catches a gut check. Max now has the guitar, but Aubrey takes it away from Max Caster, which made no fucking sense to me because it's a no DQ match. It is a fatal fucking four way. We already had Satnam Singh in the fucking ring. He's out here clubbing everybody, clotheslining people left and fucking right. You got people in the ring that aren't supposed to be there. Who gives a fuck about a guitar? Who fucking cares? Right. No, you're 100% right. Makes this no is, fucking sense. This is the thing with AEW, and I guess, you know, we haven't talked. We don't talk about AEW a lot on DTR, which we should probably change, but at the same time, you know, there's not. Eventually we will. Eventually we will. We'll get more into it. Uh, we'll talk about it more. Uh, one of my big criticisms since AEW's inception is that they lack concrete rules despite them trying to establish it as a sport i put air quotes on sport so it's like they want to have rules and they want to have rankings but nobody abides by them so for example with when it comes to tag team matches right or no just in general yeah we'll we'll start with the tag team matches is guys are in the ring for ever doing whatever yeah not to take away from orange cassidy's gimmick they're in the ring doing whatever for however long they want and they th there's no counts there's nothing there's no disqualifications the refs look dumb the ref, right the refs don't, don't one they don't look respected two they don't they're, they they're not they, they don't look intelligent and they don't hold the order there because there is no order so that's one of my big criticisms has always been one of my one of my big criticisms of AEW. Hopefully we work past that uh, because again, you're as you were saying makes zero sense. It's a fucking no disqualification match. It is a no disqualification match. Do not take the guitar away. It has no bearing in this match because obviously it's going to go the way it's going to go anyway. Nonetheless, we get even more interaction with Aubrey Edwards because then uh, Lethal hit Max Caster with the Golden Globes. Jeff gets a two count. And then uh, Jeff Jarrett, uh, you know, Aubrey's counting the two. Aubrey puts the two in Jeff Jarrett's face to say, hey, this is a two count. Then Jeff Jarrett slaps Aubrey's hand. They start getting into a war of words and a little tiff with each other. And then Jeff Jarrett pushes her. Aubrey goes and pushes Jeff back and they start to have a shoving match with one another until Jeff gets sent outside. So we've got some very apparent ref interaction, not a ref bump per se, but 
something that may be revisited in the future. Jeff Jarrett, a despicable human being. It's International Women's Day as we're recording this, too. So shout out to Aubrey Edwards for your tenacity in pushing back Jeff Jarrett. But fuck you for taking away the guitar from Max Caster because that made no fucking sense. He said Aubrey Edwards good referee, too. It, I think it's just the environment that she's a product of at they this point. They put her in these fucking positions that, that don't help her. And the same thing goes with Rick Fox. They're not bad referees. We're not shitting on the referees. Bryce Remsburg, Rick Fox, that other fucking guy, I don't know his name, and... Aubrey Edwards are all good referees. They're just not that they're not shown in a good fucking light. I would say they all look fucking dumb. Every, almost every other match. They look fucking stupid. Nonetheless, after all this happens, the guns get the win after hitting the three ten to Yuma on Danhausen. Told you. And then <laughs> we get a surprise. We get a interview real quick between the guns and Renee asking them how their win feels. You can kind of tell where this is going. You can kind of tell that somebody's coming out because this is the only match that gets a post-match interview. So you you can sign it. You can kind of see, hey, we're setting up for something that's bigger than what's happening right now. And that bigger something was FTR. They come out during the celebration interview to attack the guns, and this certainly sets the next rivalry up. Uh, and Dax was busted open by Austin during the brawl because there were some shoot punches that were thrown. Sick. Yeah. Uh, this is So where do you think FTR is going to go as a result of all this? So this because is, there's a lot of rumors. I was going to say, this is very weird. I think that they're in the position that they're supposed to be in. I think that the... Momentum of FTR have obviously has obviously cooled. They were the former everything champions, a la Kenny Omega, the belt collector. They were kind of the belt collectors uh, this time around because they collected the NJPW Tag Team Championships. They collected the AAA Tag Team Champions. They also had the AEW Tag Team Championships. So they dropped all three of them in pretty rapid succession. Uh, Oh, and the Ring of Honor World Champions. I'm sorry, not the AEW, the Ring of Honor World Championships. Uh, so they dropped all three of them in rather rapid succession from one another. You saw the writing on the wall that they were going to get booked into oblivion. And then during this time that they kind of have off, especially because of the hellacious match that they had, uh, the double dog collar match against the Briscoes at Ring of Honor, or the final battle. So that was uh, something... That put them on the shelf for a little bit. But you get Dax Hardwood starting his own podcast in a pretty candid way, sharing, I wouldn't say the secrets of AEW, but definitely sharing some backstage interactions, sharing his personal opinions about some people uh, who are backstage. And he doesn't mince words about the guns. I've done my research on this. Whether it's shoot, whether it's kayfabe, I don't really give a fuck because it's none of my business to tell. I'm just a wrestling fan. I'm the consumer. From what I've been gathering from this, the FTR is obviously the veterans of the locker room because they've been around for a while. They are one of the top tag teams in the world as well as, well as the Young Bucks too, but FTR is one of those teams that I would say younger tag team wrestlers would look up to in a way. You know, they've accomplished a lot. Uh, so the way it's said, this is through Dax Hardwood's words, and I'm paraphrasing, is that the guns came in the came in the business asking questions, paying respect, doing what they got to do. 
And somewhere along the way, they blew smoke up their own ass and they stopped asking questions and they started feeding into their own bullshit. And thus the cocky guns that we're getting right now. It was alluded to that there was a legitimate backstage interaction between the four of them that kind of caused the rift between them. And whether or not this is Tony Khan's way of using beef to further feuds and get a good matches out of people, a la old VKM when the uh, the real life shit was going on backstage. If this is a case of that, then awesome. Because, you know, we do have now a blood feud between them. Uh, and, and I like, if it is a work, I like to see it getting interpolated between the different mediums. It's on TV. It's in a podcast. Whether the wrestlers are on TV, they're still getting, you know, uh, attention because they're talking about things. They're still pushing feuds. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know how this came about. I think it's interesting. Do I think it changes anything in FTR's direction? Absolutely fucking not. They're there to put the new guys over. You want the new guys, that being the guns, to be one of the top tag team heels or at least one of the top up-and-coming tag team heels in the tag team division for years to come. This is the way to do it. you got a fan favorite in FTR. You've got the hateable heels and the guns. So pretty perfect. I don't think it changes much, though. Gotcha. I'm going to shut the I'm, fuck up now. I was about to, <laughs> <laughs> about to say, you, well, you're leading this thing, so, no, I mean, no, you can it, talk as long as you want. It's okay. It's but right. uh, but I can, I can actually participate in this one now in full, uh, you know, because uh, we're going to get to the main event now. Yes, yes, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, um, like I said, the guns won, and that was in 13 minutes, 35 seconds. So, not a long match, not a short match either. A lot of action in between. Some stupid shit, some pretty good shit, uh, especially with the returning uh, FTR. But... Now we are on to our main event of the evening, and that is the 60-minute Ironman match for the AEW World Championship. MJF defeating Brian Danielson 4-3 in sudden death overtime. Holy crap, buddy. Yeah. Holy crap. Now, hold on real quick. I know I've talked a lot. Me and you have obviously seen some things online that other local podcasts have put out and they've posted on social media their thoughts about this match ladies and gentlemen this was not the best fucking match of the year it, this it, was not the best iron man match ever is it one of the best absolute, iron man matches absolutely ever? in the question a thousand percent absolutely in the question is it the best iron match man match ever go fuck yourself we are no, yeah it's not. to say that this was the match <laughs> it's, it's the not. match of the year so far it, it listen well wrestled all the way through. What do you think well is going to come out of it's? What do you think is going to come out of a fucking hour long match? You're going to get one of the best matches. It's not right. going to be an hour long shit show. Right. They're not going to put it on TV exactly. as such. You've got great wrestlers in both MJF and arguably one of the greatest wrestlers, if not the greatest wrestler right now, in Brian Danielson. So you're going to get a good fucking match. Right. On top of that, we're three months into the year. I mean, is it is could this match possibly be in the question for match of the year? Absolutely, but we've got we've got fucking nine months left. Let's what's it called? Let's let it let's let it manifest a little bit because honestly, it was good, and a lot of this match we're going to talk about it. The build was shit. The build the build was not great, but a lot of this match is monkey see, monkey do. I can if you can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. That's a lot of... And done exactly the way it was supposed to be done. Also, another interlaying story, you know, inter... 
whatever interlying story i don't know interpolating interloping this is this is uh we're getting towards the end of this and i'm getting shot right now but anyway um is daniel uh brian danielson is the obvious veteran and they've both gotten in each other's heads so much it's the can mjf keep up this is his first title defense since winning the championship and he's going against the greatest professional wrestler in the world for an hour streak. Can the kid hang? Can the kid hang? That right. is the story. That that's the story. Is you is again? I think everybody's gone and said it. If there's if it's not Bret Hart, if it's not Kurt, Kurt Angle, if it's not Chris Benoit, Daniel Bryan is probably one of the best technical wrestlers. technical wrestlers of all time. Mm-hmm. Probably up there. Probably could be. You can make an argument that he probably is the best of all time. The point is is that was the story. Was you're going up against the best. Can you do it? Did we think? Did, was there? Any, I'll ask you because obviously I don't. I can't. You ask know this. my answer. I'm going to answer it before say, you even ask it. There was no shadow of a doubt that MJF was not. Now, yeah, yeah. There was no shadow of a doubt that MJF was not going to walk out the champion during this time. And there's a number of factors. A, you've got MJF through the through fucking 2023. So why not keep the strap on him? And if you're trying to go into a fucking contract year, you want that man to be as happy as possible and you need to keep the strap on him for as long as possible. That's that's A and fucking B. C, Brian Danielson is on his way out. There's not many years that he has left in professional wrestling. The years that he's going to contribute to professional wrestling is long. Physically, it is short. So do we strike while the iron is hot and give him the strap? Maybe. And I thought that there was a 10% chance that they gave it to Brian Danielson. But the 90% in me was firm in my belief that MJF was going to get it because that man is too damn hot right now. And that man is the future of professional wrestling as it stands today. Right. And we've already said it. He could he could not go to WWE. He'll always be a first ballot DTR Hall of Famer. Fuck yeah. I mean, without a doubt. And there are people who are going to bitch and moan about what we're saying right now about MJF. Oh, you, you, you're fucking sucking him off. Oh, you know, you guys are marks for MJF. And that's not the case. Real recognizes fucking real. And we are people who are realistic in terms of our wrestling expectations. And we want simple shit. Give us good shit. There's not been really many moments where MJF hasn't given us good shit. Yeah, is his trials and fucking tribulation storyline starting to get old? Absolutely. But I'm fucking man enough to admit it. I'm not going to be the guy that's saying that he's God's gift to green earth in professional wrestling. And not have the fucking evidence to back it up. This is the evidence to back it the fuck up. Absolutely. And like, if we're, if what we're saying makes us marks for MJF, then yeah, I'm I'm a mark for MJF. I think MJF is one of the best wrestlers in the world today. Not even by ability alone. It doesn't have to be by ability. I think just by character wise, I think the guys up there with guys who have already who've established characters over the course of years. Roman Reigns, guy who t- who took. Three years to develop an amazing character. MJF has done it in less than a year. I mean, even though we knew he had this character, but just up out of the blue lately, all of a sudden people are on the back and want to know what's going on with MJF. What's the behind the scenes of MJF? The fact that we're even talking about the, the fact that we're even talking about this just solidifies everything. He's such a polarizing figure. It's not like we're talking about oh, is MJF good? Is MJF bad? No, it's how good is MJF? We already know that he's good. It's how good is he? And in our opinion, he's very fucking good. Very, very good. 
And in this match, he does unthinkable things as a heel. You got to think, there has not been a... There's not been less of a kayfabe character break than with MJF. That man has stuck to his gimmick through and through. We know what MJF is like behind the scenes. We know that that is in his character on screen is an embellishment of what his character off screen is, but not by much. But this guy is despicable. Oh, absolutely. He's not like despicable in the slightest. It's. We're going to talk about it. We'll get to that okay. because there there is something that I want to ask you. There is something that you, again, we're definitely somebody, going to talk about. Right, one spot. Right. I want to get some so, uh, an opinion from somebody who has been booked and has worked a match. Okay. So we'll we'll get to it. Okay, so right off the bat, Danielson comes out first. He gets a great pop. He jokes around with Justin Roberts in the ring uh, about his tie, and if you don't know what that story's about, just Google I was about Daniel to say. Bryan. Justin Roberts and have your way with it because there's a whole backstory to that. I just thought it was a little Easter egg. They showed it very briefly on the camera. That was pretty cool. Just a little <laughs> nod to the people who were paying attention. It's nice. Uh, MJF comes out to similar kind of entrance to House of Black in terms of aesthetics, except he had a symphony and he walked out with his devil mask from All Out and uh, you know his his grand return. When that happened, uh, what I thought was funny was that he fumbled the title when he was giving it to Bryce Remsburg as they were, uh, you know, doing the championship introductions. Daniel Bryan, as we said, was in the head. They've been in the head of each other the whole uh, uh, feud. But early on in the match, Daniel, uh, Bryan Danielson was definitely in the head of, of MJF, out grappling him, out chain wrestling him, literally just out mat wrestling him and then laughing about it the whole time. And MGF at this point, you could see he's, and it's it's another point that I have to give to him is that his facial expressions, the way he reacts to certain things, he's kind of in the beginning of this match. You can see his confidence level. Like, damn, can I really do this? Damn, is it really going to be this hard? I really have to outlast him for sixty minutes. Uh, that changes later on in the match. Uh, there was a terrific sequence between the both of them. At first, chain-wise, multiple near falls with each other. And then MJF goes outside to kind of recoup. As he's going outside, he goes into the crowd to get away from Brian Danielson. There is what seems to me, and I can be wrong and I apologize if I am. There seems to be, when he goes into the crowd, a special needs person that was jawjacking him as he was going over the barricade. MJF then walks down said person as security is getting in between the both of them. He digressed. He moved on to other fans. And then he walks over to this mother who's standing there, and she's got a cup in her hand with a clear liquid. He takes the cup and then throws said clear liquid on the child that was sitting next to the mother. Wow. I repeat MJF takes a cup from a mom and throws the liquid on a kid. We're going to get to that in a minute. I'm still going to get to the rest of the card first because we, we, we've got a lot. All right. So we'll talk about that. We'll later. talk about that after. Okay, we're cool. going to talk about that after because yeah, that's where my question was. Yeah. So MJF then brings Danielson outside, he, uh, goes him outside. He tells the fans to move out of the way. Then he pretends, uh, pretends to throw Danielson 
out over the barricade out into the crowd, but swerves them and then throws uh, uh, Brian Danielson back inside. I thought that was pretty cool. Once again, playing to his heel persona. You don't see a lot of wrestlers doing that. I don't think I've seen that spot in a very long time, if ever, at least on, on television. Uh, there was a great top rope sunset flip bomb uh, by Brian Danielson. There was a sequence of roll-up pin attempts back and forth for about two minutes. This was crazy. Yeah. I felt bad for Bryce Remsburg because he's just sitting there slapping his hand on the mat. As a former referee, as somebody who's refereed a match or two, I can tell you that's it's not comfortable doing it for a, for, for three counts in the match. No, no. <laughs> I can only imagine. They So they alluded to this that both men, you know, Brian Danson and MJF being in, in great cardio condition, but they also made sure to mention that Bryce Remsburg was in great cardio condition because not only do the wrestlers have to wrestle for an hour, the ref's got a ref for an hour, and that ref was refing. Then he earned his check. Yeah, <laughs> that, he absolutely earned his check. That ref was refing. Uh, so, yeah, out of all the craziness with all those sequences of pinfalls, eventually Daniel, uh, Danielson gets the first fall after a Busyko knee. So we have our first uh, we have our first pinfall. Brian Danielson is up one nothing. Immediately after this, MJF recovers. Hits a low blow on Danielson to make it 2-0 Danielson. And then he pins Brian Danielson twice, who is recovering from said low blow. He can't recover in time because MJF got two back-to-back pins. We're at 2-2. Now let's talk about this real quick. This was smart. Yeah, absolutely. And this was something unique. We don't really... we In all the Iron Man matches I've watched... It's very rare, very, very rare that we see something this unique. I was intrigued by it. It was definitely like, because it took us a second when we were watching it. We Guys, were like, if you want to watch wrestling psychology at its finest, this, this is, is it. it. You have a whole hour to watch and, and figure out wrestling psychology because this is it. Yep. You've got a man who's down 2 nothing, what, or one nothing. What am I going to do? I'm going to give him a low blow, 2 nothing. Okay, I'm going to pin him twice because he can't get up after I just hit him in the deck. All right, 2-2, two, two, even playing field. Uh, eventually, they both recover. Danielson goes and brings the fights outside. He runs halfway around the ring to hit MJF with a single leg drop kick. That looked pretty good. Uh, and Danielson goes and brings uh, the match inside. He hits a figure four. MJF's knee is blown at this point. We find out that he has a pre-existing injury before the match starts. So he was, they were definitely playing into this. Uh, MJF hits a big-ass elbow drop on Brian Danielson onto a table from the top. Uh, the table was outside. It was the announcer's table, the timekeeper's table, yep. essentially. Uh, and that made um, Bryce Remsburg count out uh, Brian Danielson, but it didn't work because he got up and recovered uh, mjf then hit a running tombstone onto the half broken table yes it was it was awesome it was sick I, I actually had to stop i was like wow that was awesome yeah great utilization of the rest of the table the table didn't break all the way you want to use this you want to create a moment that's a moment you also want to you know buy some more time that's definitely the way to do it uh, mjf then took danielson in the ring and he pins him after a heat seeker. So now MJF is up three to two. And then we start to see the fight kind of take a little turn and things get really, really vicious from here. Danielson eventually recovers. He sends MJF outside into the post. And then Danielson hit the regal stretch back inside. So he started working on MJF's shoulder, started working on MJF's knee a lot. 
So he goes and he hits the regal stretch to get MJF to tap. So now it's 3-3. We're at an even playing field again. MJF and Danielson. So now we hit the 50-minute mark by this point. 45, 50-minute mark by this point. MJF and Danielson were trading submissions. We didn't get a clear-cut uh, tap out from either one of them at this point. Danielson, uh, they worked their way up to the top rope. Danielson hits the hammer elbows from the top rope. MJF grabs Danielson and hits a second rope tombstone pile driver. Another unique move. Something else that should have put Brian Danielson away but did not. Because the, the, then the time expired. After that, we didn't get a pinfall. We didn't get anything else. These two men threw everything they had at each other. Technically, MJF wins due to a draw. He retains the championship. There was no clear winner. Yep, he it's outlasted like, the, the, the greatest wrestler of all time. Exactly. <laughs> the greatest technical wrestler of all time. He I, outlasted him. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the time expires, but Tony Khan is not going to let this match not have a winner. So Tony Khan was talking to Tony Schiavone. Tony Schiavone walks from the commentary booth down to the ramp. He talks to Justin Roberts and Bryce Remsburg, and we've got a restart to the match. And... Now we're on to we still have the Iron Man match, so it's still it's still going on. But first man to get a pinfall, that's it, that's your winner. Uh, Danielson after this had MJF and a single leg crab. MJF tapped uh, after the time expired. That's how we got to uh, the sudden death. So it was very very close. Um, after the second start of the match, MJF immediately tries to use the title. Uh, to hit Brian Danielson and Bryce Remsburg was like, "Hey, go ahead because if you hit Brian uh, Brian Danielson with the title, you, you then lose. lose the title. So there you go, buddy. Go ahead, do it. I ain't gonna stop you. Kind of leads that wide open door uh, for MJF to do it. Um, as MJF is starting to do it, Bryce Remsburg takes the title from him. Says, "Swerve, nope, not gonna let you do it anyway." MJF then tries to use his dynamite diamond ring, uh, but then he doesn't. It, do, it doesn't work for it either because Danielson hits a Busaiko knee for a deep two count. MJF's ring is off his finger uh, at this point because Bryce Remsburg took it off of his finger. Danielson has MJF in a single leg crab. This is when Bryce Remsburg takes the ring off because MJF was going to hit Danielson with the ring and it didn't work. MJF then makes it to the rope and uh, taps as Bryce is getting Danielson off. So Bryce Remsburg did not see MJF tap again. Did not see him tap again. We still have a match going on. MJF then goes outside to recover and he grabs the oxygen tank that was used to help MJF recover post the first match. He hits Danielson with the tank, puts Brian Danielson in the LaBelle lock. Uh, Brian Danielson then fades after uh, the LaBelle lock and the salt of the earth. He ultimately taps. Yep. And so not only did he outlast the best technical wrestler in the world, he beat the best technical wrestler in the world. Made so, the best technical wrestler in the world tap, tap. out. Yep. And, you know, and Taz on commentary saying, oh, well, you know, sometimes you got to deal with the, the submission. I'm like, yeah, but you normally don't get hit in the face with an oxygen tank before that. But nonetheless, oh, my God, this was great. Uh, this was a great match uh, f through and through. It, it was very good. 
very well wrestled. Very, the storytelling was on point. Like you said, the psychology. There's an this is an hour clinic on wrestling psychology 101. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything it was, you know, pro, like I said, is it the best? You don't need much. There wasn't a lot. I said all of this. These were the high spots of the match in a matter of an hour. There's only, there's not that many. If you think of like, I, I want to say in the how long did they go for the 18 minutes? Yeah, the 18 minutes that House of Black and the Elite. Did I want to say they did more in their match move set wise than what MJF and Danielson did in about an hour. Right. And that's the difference between that style of wrestling and this style of wrestling. Where you're gonna get a story that's gonna put you at the edge of your seat every waking moment, or are you gonna get the acrobatics that come with the trio style match? That that's really your choice on what you want to do. Well, our preference has no bearing on this. What was your question? Okay, so uh, well, we were going to talk about the kid uh, in the water. Yes. So that was my question. So there's a there is debate all over Twitter. He went too far. He didn't go too far. He was playing a character. If you don't think this was uh, a, a good thing, you're a mark. If you think you're this was a good thing, you're an unsafe worker. As somebody, I'm asking you, who's been booked, who's worked shows. We've heard the age-old expression, the wrestlers don't touch the fans, especially not kids. Did he go too far? I say if it wasn't tequila, because we found out later that it was tequila, I say that he is in the gray area. Okay. I, I won't... Man, so I worked a birthday show in Miami when I wrestled for Coastal Championship Wrestling, and... I played the heel in the match. Very quick match. Nothing, you know, too crazy. But the thing that I did to get that child to have a reaction towards me was A, so I wrestle with a mask in some respects. Kind of killing it, but I wrestle with a mask in some respects. And uh, I go up to the kid beforehand. I know he's the birthday boy, and I kind of just give him a glare. I've got a creepy looking mask. So I set the tone there. Do I don't go forehead to forehead with him, but I'm definitely close. Later on in the match that I had with uh, the Wrangler, Nick Turner, I go and I put Nick Turner in a submission hold, and I'm looking at the kid who's the birthday boy, and I'm telling him that it's all his fault, that what I'm doing to the Wrangler is all the kid's fault. Now, the kid is upset because... Obviously, it's the baby face we're here, you know, putting on the show for him. But I'm letting him know that everything that's happening right now is his fault. So his reaction was a a bit emotional. And he went to his, you know, mother and was kind of looking at his mom like, like, is he really like blaming me? Kind of like, you know, so like the gray area that I would say is a the tequila and B because it's a kid because we wouldn't be complaining half as much. If it was an adult. If it was an adult. If he threw water, or even if he threw tequila on an adult. Because we didn't know that it was tequila until after the fact, and the dirt sheets picked it up. Right. But we didn't know. So if he... If he did this to an adult, I don't think that the backlash would have been half as much. It was because it was a child, rightfully so. It was because it was a child. Do I think that he went too far? Ah, I don't think that... I don't think I would have 
throwing water on the kid, I think I would have done it in a different way. But you look at MJF, you look at what he's done in the past, you look at how he's treated the fans in the past, both off-camera and on-camera, I don't expect any less at this point. No, I don't expect any less. I'm honestly surprised not to cut you off. I'm honestly surprised he hasn't gotten into a fight with a fan. Despite oh, what ha- yeah. despite what happened oh, yeah. at the AEW event, what, you know when the fan jumped the barricade and all that stuff, I I'm surprised it has not happened to MJF at at this point in time. And frankly, if I'm gonna be a fucking schwami real quick, knowing that he did that, he might want security for these next couple of shows because I would not be surprised if they're walking into a hot market that a fan is gonna go and try and jump the fucking barricade and try and get MJF. Not, that's just my opinion. I I don't not see that happening. Yeah, I uh, as somebody who's never worked a match, I, I I was always I always like to think that if it's an adult, it's good to go. You know, it's this isn't something you, you you're not striking an adult. You're not yeah, you know the yeah. kid though. I mean, listen, listen. I, I, if he had thrown it towards the kid and mm-hmm. maybe not on him. We wouldn't even be discussing this. And kids are easy pickings. That's Kid, the other thing. That's too. what I'm saying. Children is, are easy pickings. Is you don't have to do something physical or throw water or something on the kid. I'm not saying he went too far. Be- or well, again, I got to stop saying water because I'll be honest. Until you said it, I didn't even know they picked it up that it was tequila. Yeah. It was, so yeah. Um, when he threw this liquid at the kid, I, 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 what's it called? At first, I'm like, all right, he didn't throw it in his face. He kind of threw it at his chest area. But yeah. at the same time, it's a kid. You know, did the and did the company handle it right? Did they bring the kid backstage, give him a whole bunch of merch? He met some wrestlers. Yeah, of course they played it right. But hell, I, I've been at a wrestling show, and I'm I'll actually show you the video because I don't know if you've ever seen it. But I was at a wrestling show one time. I was about uh, 13. Is this the story with you and Anthony? No. Okay. I don't keep going. So. I was sitting front row. I was with my father, my grandfather, and my brother. We're sitting front row. And I'm not going to name the company because I don't know if they want to be named. I don't know if the wrestler wants to be named. But nonetheless, there was a triple threat tag team match. A triple threat TLC tag team match. Okay. Uh, and I was standing up. I was a child. Like, again, I was a kid at the time. I was loved, loved wrestling. So I'm standing up. Uh, I didn't see. I was talking shit to one of the heels that's sitting in the chair right in front of me. So he's seated in a chair. Didn't see that one of the other wrestlers... Uh, jumped off of the turnbuckle and his leg came over, cracked me in the back of the head. Okay. So, but that, again, so the company handled it right. You know, that company sent over a bunch of wrestlers. I, I think I got a t-shirt out of that. It was so, but again, I didn't care. I was like, yo, that was sick. I just got yeah, kicked in the head by a wrestler. That, so, and, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't intentional. Right, exactly. So that's not intentional. So this is something that's intentional. So it's a little different, you know. Don't get uh, me wrong. If it's a kid and I'm playing a heel, that's what I'm going for. Oh, you have I'm to. I'm beelining it for the child. Right. What am I doing to that child? Not much in terms of physicality. Probably nothing at all. Right. Are you ripping up that kid's sign? Yes. Fuck yeah. A hundred percent. Fuck yeah. A hundred percent. That I'm is con- the line. Yeah, exactly. I would say. Exactly. I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, uh, so if Maybe a kid... tip the kid's hat, you know, flick his sunglasses off, something, right. you know, like, don't hit the kid. Don't do really anything to rip a sign, whatever. Right. So I don't know. I like I said, just wanted to get your opinion since you've actually worked, definitely worked more than I have. But, um, but yeah. So I, I don't know. Again, I think you're right. I think you're right. He's in that gray area where it's you don't know exactly, but you do know. You know. Yeah. And hey, listen, fans, stop bitching. Stop. He didn't throw the fucking tequila on you. Stop bitching. 
Right. They're going to handle it the way they're going to handle it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we have a voice. Yeah, you know, First Amendment and all that stuff. Stop, stop bitching. He's a heel. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Exactly. Is it right? We don't know. It's the fucking... That's, he's in the gray area. Ask the wrestlers. You as a fan should not be dictating whether that that's right or not. Maybe as a wrestler, you should be dictating, hey, should I be following fucking suit? Which I wouldn't if you want to be booked. But if you're a fan, sit back, relax, take the fucking tequila to the mouth, and shut the hell up. Yeah. Because a lot of these fans, especially like the older fans I noticed, are on Twitter. And they're like, well, back in the 80s and the 70s. Well, I'm not debating that heels probably played a whole oh, different role did back we in not the 70s have, and, and I'm 80s. Gonna, I'm sorry, and I'm going to blank on this guy's name. Did we not have a wrestler slap a reporter? Oh, David Schultz. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is you're acting like this is like, you know, they're like, oh, you know, well, back in the 80s. and the, Yeah, of course, that shit happened. Again, grown adult, child. It's it, it, there's a, there. So there's arguments to everything. But nonetheless, so now we have MJF just outlasted the greatest wrestler, technical wrestler of all time. And, and bragging about it because that post-match con- uh, uh, conference was very braggadocious on MJF's part oh, calling yeah. himself the best wrestler in the world which I mean who's de- who's denying it right now I mean he didn't do it I mean he didn't do it clean but he did it he did it and if he's getting he's getting he's without a doubt getting the reaction that that he wants cuz he's uh, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to he's going to be he's the hottest thing going into 2024 and however this ends up sorting its way out we could be in for a roller coaster of a ride come the, the end of this year. Yes, a thousand percent. Now, before we go, because we've been on for over an hour and a half, nearing two hours now, uh, just want to get your opinion. I know you don't know too much about what's going on in AEW in terms of stories and things of that nature. Who would you like to see MJF wrestle next? Oof. Ah, man, it's it, it, it's very, so I don't want to say Mox again. I don't want, I really don't want that. I actually want, I, I like, I think we were saying earlier that Hangman is probably that guy, but if we're chasing that, the Young Bucks and Omega are splitting, I think maybe it's time we give him Kenny Omega. That was my prediction. I said I was going to talk about Kenny later on in the show, and it is time for the Kenny part of the show because it is time that we get the cleaner back. It is we. T- it is time that we get that standard bearer of professional wrestling. He MJF just beat one pinnacle of professional wrestling. No pun intended to his former stable, but. He now has the next pinnacle of professional wrestling. In my opinion, it's going to be Kenny. We're going to eventually slowly work towards Kenny. Maybe we get another Hangman Kenny mini feud just to see who's going to face MJF. I want to say that MJF is going to recover for quite some time. And we'll get this at double or nothing, which is next. Uh, But, yeah, I think Kenny's next. I think that we're going to get the cleaner. I think that this is going to be kind of the last stand of Kenny Omega. His contract is running up. We don't know if he's re-signed. We don't know if he's going to re-sign. What a better way to put the other new guy over 
than have him beat the other best professional wrestler in the world in Kenny Omega, right? I agree. I think that that's exactly where it needs to go because now you've got, again, the best technical wrestler in the world. You've got to beat. This guy's put on. Now you've got a guy who's put on the six-star classics in Japan. He's the next. He is the next it guy. MJF has beat Mox. Yeah. He's beaten Moxley. And that famous feud, yeah. you just beat one, Danielson. You, I was about to say. Those were the top two. Yep. You get Mox, who's probably one of the most violent professional wrestlers uh, in the world today, next to Nick Gage, probably. But, you know, I don't think anybody's risking Nick Gage versus MJF. Now, I want to throw a wrench in your uh, in your thing real quick. I know he just took a loss, but, hey, crazier things have happened. Him and Jericho? It would come full circle. Definitely would come full circle. Because these were the guys, you know, I, I honestly think that it's so it sucks because like we totally would have, I mean, Cody always said he would never win the title. I had a feeling that like, so let's just say Cody was still in. I feel like that would have also been mm-hmm. a full circle kind of thing. His but obviously, best friend, you know, best friend, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, I think that that's the next logical thing is that Jericho and MJF probably while we're building to the Omega Young Bucks split, I think Jericho's the next guy that they'll throw throw in there. Will it take Jericho a little while because he just he's just coming off of a loss? Now, my thing is, uh, and it's funny because we're bringing up Jericho. I think that if we're looking at guys who have the star power, are we looking at Ricky Starks being the one that be, that eventually takes down MJF? Um. So. I had a conversation with somebody from my job who is a wrestling fan, and they brought up a good point. And the point is that they've kind of flip-flopped back and forth with, you know, in terms of... They flip-flopped back and forth in terms of putting it on a veteran, putting it on a new guy, putting it on a veteran, putting it on a new guy. At first, definitely not, because you had Chris Jericho, you had Moxley, you had Kenny Omega, all veterans in their own right. You had CM Punk, another veteran in his own right. Hangman, rather, you know, still bubbling as a competitor, still hasn't hit his peak as a competitor. Yes, former world champion, obviously. Um, But... On the younger side of things. Now we have MJF on the younger side of things. So I think it goes to another veteran. I I don't know who the veteran is going to be. Maybe it's Mox one more time. You know, I, I, I don't know. I... Yeah, it's tough. It, it's tough. I guess we'll see because... Uh, I don't the, know who's going to take it off of him. I can tell you who I think is going to be the next in line, but I can't tell you who's, who I think is going to take it off yeah, of Yeah, exactly. Who knows how long this is going to run. This could be a, a very, very long run depending on how 2024 goes. If he ends up re-signing, we might be in for a long haul. Yeah. I Man, I don't know. I don't think he re-signs. Uh, but anyway, MJF is our current, still, AEW World Heavyweight Champion. That was AEW Revolution 2023. Like it, love it, hate it. Doesn't fucking matter. It happened. This has been uh, the paper review of it. Go ahead and follow our social medias. Instagram is double underscore turn underscore radio. Facebook is double turn radio. Twitter is double turn radio. Ending O is with a zero. You can find us on YouTube at double turn radio. 
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find our podcasts, wherever you can hear our pretty little voices in your ear, please go ahead, follow, subscribe, like, all that good shit. Speaking of good shit, Joey Flats, who does our good shit in the beginning and end of every podcast, go ahead and follow him on Spotify and Apple Music. And just remember, when you want to know what happened in professional wrestling, you go to Double Turn Radio. We are your number one wrestling audio encyclopedias, whether you're on the road as a worker, at home as a fan, or just a person looking to listen to wrestling. Let us be your one-stop shop. My name is Xavier Heat, wrestling's favorite hothead, and next to me has been my beautiful and lovely co-host... The man with no gimmick, the James Cosby. Mr. No Gimmicks Needed. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to like, favorite, subscribe, all that good stuff. Thank you. Fuck you. Bye. Bye.